0: In today's episode, we're talking about generating incremental revenue in college athletics, and we're talking about core values and strategic plans. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Quick plug before we get to our guest introduction today. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success in their careers? And then we apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Now today's episode is a special college leaders episode where we're doing all of those things but we're doing it with leaders in college athletics specifically. And we're doing that because At Engagement, we spend a lot of time working with college athletic departments on everything from revenue generation to new fan experience ideas to culture, and we wanted to get inside the brains of some of the senior leaders driving the industry. Now today's guest is Rick George, the athletic director at University of Colorado, uh, who's in the Pac-12 uh, Power Five school, and we wanted to unpack with Rick some of his history as to how he got into the chair because he's got an unorthodox path, having worked both for the PGA Tour and the Texas Rangers prior to coming back to the world of college athletics. And so with that in mind, he's got some experience really creating strategic plans in the nonprofit space to really focusing on revenue generation in the pro baseball space. And we wanted to see how he's applying those things to the world of college athletics. And ultimately, his past experiences have set Colorado up really well for success, given all the change that's happening in the world of college athletics. So without further ado, I'm going to stop giving this intro and stealing the fun from the episode, but let's jump into this episode with Athletic Director Rick George. Rick, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be on your show. Looking forward to it.
0: All right, so let's start here with how did you get to Colorado? You've definitely had a bit of an unorthodox route into the big chair, stops at the PGA Tour, stops at Texas Rangers. Give us a 30-second rundown of some of the roles that you've held before getting to Colorado?
1: Yeah, look, I, you know, I I started at Illinois uh, in recruiting uh, football and and I came here to work for Bill McCartney. Uh, So I've been here one time before and, um, you know, it was always my desire to be an athletic director at a division one school. And so um, I did take a little bit of a different route. Um, You know, I I felt like uh, when I was Thirty years old that I should be an AD and I, obviously I wasn't ready and that's why I didn't get any of those jobs. So I kind of got out of college athletics for a while and, and those were probably some of the best things I did. You know, when I was with the not-for-profit in, in New Orleans running a PGA Tour event, it allowed me to, you know, really better understand, um, you know, every dime you can save and every dollar you can raise was given back to charity, and that was a great lesson for me to be able to lead a group of people uh, in that, volunteers and uh, uh, full-time staff. And then, you know, the the commissioner uh, gave me the opportunity to run the uh, Champions Tour and be the president of that, and and I was the first president of that, and and that was really helpful because – you know, we kind of created our own path and we used a strategic plan to help elevate that tour because it was in kind of a crossroads when I was there and we rebranded it from the senior tour to the champions tour. And, um, you know, it was great to, to be able to use a strategic plan to be able to, uh, put this tour, uh, up in a higher level than it was. And, and then, you know, having the opportunity to run the PGA tour and, Um, you know, doing that for three years, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, that was really helpful for my career because I met a lot of CEOs and had a lot of interactions with them, got to meet with uh, a lot of the players and and understood and and had to explain that, um, you know, when a particular topic had come up, I'd talk to the players about it individually. And then we'd make a decision and some would say, well, wait a second, you didn't hear me. And I said, yeah, I heard you. My job is to take everybody's input. And then I have to make the decision that's in the best interest of the tour. And so that was a, a, a really helpful. And then leaving there to go to the, the Texas Rangers, I, I really wanted to – I felt like I needed more background for my career to be able to understand budgeting a little bit better. And so being able to go in and and, and run the business side of the operation at the Texas Rangers – um, and knowing that um, our, our owners didn't want capital calls, it was really important for me to generate revenue uh, and also to keep our expenses down so we didn't have to um, have capital calls with our ownership group. And I think all of those things really helped me for the seat I'm sitting in now as the athletic director at Colorado. And I know that was more than 30 seconds, but um, all of those things really, really helped um uh, me to uh, be where I'm at today, and I'm, I'm I'm really thankful to be at Colorado for the last eight years.
0: We could almost do a whole podcast on this, uh, a whole discussion just on your or your career path and and how you advise others looking to get into that chair, maybe that are at a deputy level or a senior associate level. But I, 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 a couple things I want to unpack. I think it's really interesting that you went the nonprofit space. So still staying in this philanthropic world that you're in in college athletics right now, um, but. Also, then you went to the Rangers, which is very—the owners are trying to make a return on their investment. They're trying to make money, and I think of college athletics as really kind of the merging between those two worlds. It sits somewhere between the nonprofit mentality, but we're also trying to drive revenue so that we can give that revenue back to the student athletes. Um, let, let's talk maybe a little bit about some of the biggest lessons from both and, and contrasts in both. I mean. Uh, specifically maybe the Rangers, right? What are some of the big things that you've applied from that business focus to your role here now at Colorado? I mean, yeah, there, I mean there's obviously the, a big difference between pro and college.
1: Yeah, there there, there is a big difference. And there's a, a lot more bureaucracy at, at the college level than there is at the pro level, just from the standpoint is that you had two or three owners that, you know, really held your feet to the fire and, and you could make decisions and you could go to those to get a, a real easy answer on things that you wanted to do. In college, it's a little bit different because you've got, you know, your board of regents and your campus and, you know, you got donors that like to weigh in a lot. And, and so, you know, I think from the Rangers, um, you know, we, you know, what we took from that here is we created um, a non-game day business here at the University of Colorado. And so, you know, at the Texas Rangers, we had a lot of non-Ranger events, and that was something that I started there, that we were trying to bring in concerts and other events so we could help, you know, have other revenue sources for our athletic department. And so we've done that here. We call it Folsom Field Events, where, you know, we have a, a team that goes out and actively looking for concerts and you know, CrossFit games and things like that. And and I think that was something that we applied and it really helps support our budget.
0: Is that a separate LLC or is that part of the department? How have you guys structured that?
1: No, it's, it's part of our athletic department. You know, we didn't have a, a separate LLC uh, the people that we hired work for, uh, our department and their role is to bring events. Um, you know, we built these new facilities and, and, um, you know, that was really helpful in, in this because we created two clubs that we use out there. We've got a rooftop terrace where we do a lot of weddings that overlook the flat irons and the mountains. So, you know, we've kind of, and, and, and we took that when we built these facilities, we built it with the, with the mindset that, We're going to use these clubs for non-game day events that we could monetize to help support our budget. Uh, And it's been very valuable for us.
0: We had had a guy by the name of Nick Sautner on the podcast a a couple of weeks ago. And he's the CEO of Eden Park in New Zealand, which is their big national venue. It's one venue of the year before. Um, and, And that is his big focus is saying, how can we take these venues that we have, these gorgeous, beautiful facilities, and use them more than five days a year? how can we maximize the use of them and fill them so that we're driving revenue with them and creating community with them 24-7 year round? That, that's incredible that you guys are doing that. Is, is anybody else in the college space kind of getting into it to the degree that you guys have been?
1: Yeah, I think they are. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm certain they are at a number of institutions, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how broadly it is across okay. different universities. But it's a really important part of our business because it does allow us to have uh, revenue streams that are not just tied to wins and losses in football and men's and women's basketball and some of our other sports. And so we're always trying to find ways to generate more revenue. And then as we look at our facilities moving forward, you know, part of that is how do we make them 365 day a year venues? And, um, and again, that'll help support all of the programmatic needs that we have for our student athletes. So, Um, it goes hand in hand with, with our business model.
0: It absolutely does. Well, let's, let's stick with revenue for a second. And then I want to go to your lessons from PGA tour with a strategic plan. Obviously you guys have done a lot of those here, Um, but let's stick with revenue for the, for the moment. When you were with the Rangers, you oversaw a whole rebranding campaign, new ticketing strategy. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that initiative. Why'd you implement the campaign? What were the initial goals or expectations? And, you know, how did the final results of that campaign compare?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, you know, there it, it was we wanted to rebrand ourselves. You know, we had a new ownership group. And and so we did a lot of focus groups and a lot of uh, information that we sent out, surveys that we sent out to ticket holders, individual game ticket holders, um, to really try to understand, you know, what what they felt about our club and and what we were doing. And uh, we also had some um, hires that were important to us. Joe Januszki, who is still there. Um, you know, was an important hire for us because he was with Fenway Group at the Boston Red Sox and, um, and learned a lot and brought a lot to us on, on how we could uh, generate uh, revenue uh, at a, a higher level because we all know that's important. You know, I think our budget there at the time was somewhere between 270 and 300 million and I had never, you know, managed a budget like that. But we certainly had to generate a lot of revenue. We had to look at all of the things that we were doing Um, you know, just the nuts and bolts of of how we were going to do it group sales and suite sales and all these different areas that, um, you know, were important to us. And then we had the corporate revenue that we were going to generate. And I know when we signed you Darvish, one of the first things we did is we flew to Tokyo because we wanted the Tokyo businesses to say, "Okay, when you Darvish is Mm -hmm. pitching, you know, we've got a home plate sign and we've got a center field sign that the camera angles are going to allow you to monetize. And and so that was really helpful in us. So, you know, we just kind of took the blinders off and said, OK, how do we generate more revenue? And, you know, through tickets and suites and non-game day events, all of that uh, allowed us. And again, more the more eyes you put on your product or, or you put in your stadium, the more valuable your assets are going to be. And so when we can bring concerts and non-game day events that... You know, is above and beyond the three hundred, you know, the three million fans that you have in your stadium and the the networks that you have there. But it's bringing more eyeballs to our sponsors, and and that was really helpful for us to generate revenue there.
0: I got to imagine when you're approaching it from a college lens now, as you think about all of your assets here at Colorado, and from a brand perspective, from a Ticketing and revenue perspective. Are are there any big differences that stand out to you when you think about that campaign with the Rangers versus what you guys are trying to do at Colorado? Are there any real big differences that stand out that you say, in college athletics, we just can't do that? Or because of college athletics, we can do something that the pros couldn't?
1: No, I, you know, look, I I think the business principles are the same, right? It's just a different language and a different uh, demographic. And you know, for, for us, um, you know, we just we, we try to take a lot of the things that we learned, you know, with the Rangers and the PGA Tour on on fan uh, initiatives that we have and, and selling corporate sponsors. But, you know, I just had this conversation with my team the other day. We need to get more concerts in here. And the more concerts we get in as uh, and we can put more eyeballs on the signage that's in our stadium and in our gym, it's going to, you know, elevate what we can get from our sponsorship revenue. And so all those things go hand in hand. And it's about people in the seats and viewership and all those kind of things. And and we just got to be mindful of that as we are, are moving down the road on, on initiatives that we put in place.
0: I love it. Well, let's talk about Colorado. Let's get in here. Um, we talked, we mentioned the strategic plan that you had at the PGA tour and you guys have implemented a couple of different strategic plans here at Colorado. We're in the middle of one right now, but obviously as we talked briefly right before the show, sometimes, things come on that are not a part of the strategic plan. So before we get into that, let's talk about how you go about crafting strategic plans because look, you're getting input from all different areas when you do
1: that. Yeah, right? and look, uh, the, the best thing about a strategic plan and, and I've given speeches on leadership through strategic planning and uh, I think it's, you, you gotta have a plan or, or you don't know where the hell you're going, going right? Uh, and so for us, the, the, the best part of it is when you craft your team, is that creates, you know, we had 34 on our initial team here, and we're actually in the third three-year mission of our 15-year vision. And, um, and so, um, you know, when we did this, you know, having 34 members in all areas of your department, including outside of your department, we had alums, we had donors, um, you know, we had a board of uh, one of our regents on there. Um, we wanted a broad perspective on on where they thought this could go and what our vision would be. And and what I tell them, it's not my vision, it's our vision. And so those 34 in the room also become mouthpieces in your organization, and it creates a bond and a and, and a direction. And for us, we we have quarterly meetings, and all of our staff are invited. We invite anybody from campus that wants to be there, and we've got a. Uh, an owner of every one of our strategic intents and every one of our objectives that reports at those meetings on, here's where we're at, here's where we're going, here's why we're not being successful as we should be. Um, Our goals are aspirational, but obtainable. uh, And that's important because we don't want to hit, you know, we're we're probably somewhere between 70 and 77% on a year of things that we achieve, but that's because we put our our aspirations are pretty high and and our objectives are, are pretty high. And and the other piece of it that's important is we created our core values. You know, what are non-negotiables that we are are, that are important to us, and they they haven't changed. Even though we're in our third uh, three-year mission, they haven't changed. It's about respect, accountability, passion, integrity, and dedication. Everybody knows what those are, Um, and and that's uh, you know, and, and we can be very consistent on what those mean to us and, and how important those are. And when we did this strategic plan, we knew that market conditions are gonna change over 15 years, right? And, and they do. And, and we just have seen a little bit of a change in, in uh, what we're doing with NIL and with uh, you know a couple of schools going to the SEC from the Big 12. And, and so we'll have, we'll have to adapt. And, and part of a good strategic plan is you have to be nimble you have to adapt to the market conditions. So we never uh, contemplated going through a pandemic the last year and how that impacted our goals and our objectives. And, uh, but we knew that we could adapt and, and we knew that we'd be nimble and we'd go back and look at, you know, instead of having a surplus last year, we operated at a deficit and how did we manage that? But I think our core values uh, you know, were, were right there with us as we were talking about that. Uh, and we adapted our plan to match the conditions that we had in, in the market in that particular year.
0: Well, it's it's interesting, right? I, I think about values and I think about some of the things that we help athletic departments with, like creating a common purpose, creating service standards, really some of that cultural aspects. And And back from my time at Disney, it was something that we would always say is that, The mission is constant. The mission and the vision are can change, right? The vision should always be updated because you're always going to be evolving, and your mission might change based on the direction, strategic direction of the company. But your culture and the values should always be there, right? No matter who's the CEO, no matter who's the AD, you should be. The values should always be the same because that's how you treat each other. That's the type of people you want working there. And you might you might evolve it slowly and add to it over time, right? You might add diversity. To mm-hmm. your values, and you, which might not have been there twenty years ago, right? Um, but for the most part, those should stay pretty rock solid.
1: Um, yeah, they do. And and look, I you know I tell our staff all the time, you know it's about accountability. So if somebody's not adhering to our core values, then then we have to address that. We have to hold people accountable. It's not just me; it's anybody in the hallways that says somebody's not adhering to our core values. We need to address it. Our core values are part of our. Uh, performance um, uh, objectives that we have for our staff. They're evaluated those on a on a yearly basis. We hire and fire based. We hire and fire based on um, those core values. And you know when a recruit sits in my office, I've got a, 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 a list of our core values that are up there. And I tell them if you don't have these five things, this is probably not a good place for you. But these are things that are really important, that are non-negotiables, that we spend a lot of time talking about. And and it's great to have core values, but if you're not living by them, then you know you don't need them.
0: Hundred percent. I love that you sat down with your with your recruits going through it too. I mean, we we do a, a weekly newsletter, and yesterday I one of the things that I put in there was a link to Stripe, the fintech companies uh, their core, their core values, their culture. And they, they say with recruits, with potential candidates, they're like, here's why you're going to like working here. Here's why you're not going to like working here. Yep. And they're really blunt and honest with it because they're trying to attract a certain type of person. And so it yeah, reminds and, me of and, what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, the, the, the middle core value is about passion and, and, you know, if, if you're going to be successful, you got to have passion for what you're doing. Right. And if you can't be passionate about serving the young men and women that are in our our department, the student athletes, this isn't a great place for you because we've got to be passionate about serving them and making sure that we develop the programmatic needs that make them successful long after they leave Colorado.
0: I have a couple couple of questions here on this, and there's so many topics we can cover here. Um, To other senior leaders listening to this podcast, what's one of the most common mistakes that you see when uh, when an organization is making a strategic plan?
1: You know, the, well, what I see is a lot of people do the strategic plan because it's the right thing to do, and then they throw it in a drawer. Yeah. So that's the worst thing that can happen. Is if you're going to have a strategic plan and you're going to have core values, you have to adhere to it. So I have one person that's responsible for the strategic plan, and that one person holds everybody accountable to get, you know, to keep them on task with their objectives and the strategic intent, intents that they own. And so um, because they're going to have to report because every quarter uh, we have a quarterly meeting and it's great for our staff because our staff can come in there and we talk about a litany of things. I think we have ninety nine objectives this year and um, we talk about those. And so it's great because everybody in our you know, I'm a big believer that knowledge is power, but it's only power if everybody shares in it right in that knowledge. And so if they can sit in the room and hear why we're short on a, uh, on a certain objective or why we're achieving at a higher level, that's gonna help them and give them talking points as they go out and talk to our constituents, whether it's campus or donors or alumni or whomever, corporate sponsors, um, you know, they, they can um, have those same talking points. And, and uh, so again, uh, if you're gonna have a strategic plan, hold people accountable, have your quarterly meetings uh, and really look at your objectives to make sure that you're progressing to, to where you wanna be.
0: Well, let's talk about where you want to be uh, with Colorado as an organization and, and where you want to go with the future. Obviously, there are a lot of things that have come up in the last 18 months that were not a part of the strategic plan. Everything from NIL to coming back from COVID, sports betting, conference realignment potentially now with Texas and Oklahoma. But let's jump into some of those things. And sure. b- before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about how you approach leading through change. Um, Are are there any specific frameworks that you use that, you know, in a turbulent time like this that you rely on to help get you through and help lead your team through this crazy amount of change?
1: You know, look, having a good team around you is the most important thing because I don't have answers for everything as the leader. But I've got a a great team around me that um, knows uh, things in in specific areas of our business that are important. And um, we meet uh, often. Uh, we discuss, um, you know, changes, um, you know, when the NIL come up, we knew it was coming. So it wasn't a surprise. And and so we've been working on that for a year in advance with Buff with the Brand is a program that we have in place that we do uh, in coordination with our campus on educating student athletes on their brand and what it means. And so, you know, we try to be as proactive as we can be, but we also know that things are going to come up, um, you know, like the Texas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, leaving the, you know, the the big 12 that we didn't contemplate. And so how do we react to that? And, you know, the key thing is just staying level through this whole thing. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, you know, as a leader, there was a lot of decisions that were taken out of your hands. And so that's sometimes difficult to do. And so, and there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean, there was a point where we weren't going to play, at you know, sports at all. And then they came back and said, oh yeah, we are. And you're going to play a shortened season in football, but none of the other sports are going to be able to go. And, You know, you have to keep some kind of balance in your life to make sure that, um, you know, you don't get too high and you don't get too low because there were a lot of ups and downs last year. And I think as we move forward, you know, we're going to see some of the same things and, and, you know, with whether it's a realignment or if it's just, uh, you know, uh, whatever that is, we have to be ready to adapt. And I think the way you adapt is you got to communicate with your key people. You got to keep your ears and eyes open and talk to your uh, other peers around the country, and just to make sure you, that you, you have a somewhat of an idea of what uh, our landscape and our environment is going to look like.
0: I can get so granular on so many of these other things. I mean, everything from how often are you talking to your other peers. But one thing I, I want to hit on that you said was the key to this is really having a, a strong team around you. Um, I, I think it's really easy in this business of, of sports to look at somebody on paper and say, yeah, that person would be a good fit for our team. Um, but sometimes they get into the role and you realize, man, this person talked a big game. And as I, you know, they, they looked good on paper, but they're not really a right fit here. Um, they, I don't really love working with this person. Um, how, how do you go about evaluating truly the people that are going to be the right fit for your team? I mean, what specific strategies do you use when you're looking for that that deputy AD, that senior associate AD, that's going to add value.
1: Yeah, look, you know, and, and and that's important, right? And so whenever I interview somebody, it's all always about the person. They wouldn't be sitting in front of me if they didn't have the professional experience to sit in that role. And so I'm always looking for the fit and it's about the person. It's not about their knowledge of of their particular trade. It's really more about how do they fit in the organization, and one they have to have the five core values, and you can evaluate that as you're talking to them. Because if they don't have those, this isn't a good fit for them because those aren't going to change. Um, and and uh, you know for me it's about the person, it's about what's inside of them and 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 how they articulate their vision for their role and and how they fit because i've got a great group i i love all of my senior staff um that i have i mean we we have uh difficult discussions we have fun discussions um and um and we can say anything to each other and i think that's important because you got to be able to be at your weakest and your strongest moments with those people that are around you and the and and the strength of your team is going to determine the strength of your department and um and I'm a big believer in, in having a, a strong executive teams. And I always tell our staff, yeah. I'm not the smartest person in the room. But with everybody in there, I become the smartest pe- person in the room because yeah. we share each other's ideas.
0: Are, are there specific questions or tests or things that you ask to cut through the BS? Because, again, if you get to that senior level, I mean – you, you've got a certain ability to, to talk the talk and, and be in the room and have that conversation. I mean, are, are there certain things, tactics that you use to cut through the BS and really get to the core of the person?
1: There, there may be specific things uh, but nothing that nothing that's
0: specifically come to mind then
1: for you. but, but there's nothing uh, specific. It's really about the okay. person. I, I want to know about them. I want to know about what they like to do outside of work, what, where their passion lies and, and their families and those kind of things. I mean those are the most important things when it, when you boil it down and it's about the person. and I think having those discussions with them you can find out a lot in a half hour time. I, I, I don't take any more than a half hour to interview anybody Um, and other than a a head coach that I I really need a little more um, uh, about what their strategies and and their offense, defense, or whatever that is. But uh, for a a key senior role, it's really 30 minutes and it's uh, we're talking about them and I want them to ask me questions. You know, what are their concerns? What are, what do they want to know about me? Because um, I am who I am and, and uh, they should know that before they come in as well. And I think that's an important part of the interview.
0: Love it. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more business end of things. Um, let's talk conference realignment. I don't, I don't, I don't need to, we're not trying to break any news on this show by any means. Um, but if you could give us a little bit of just kind of behind the scenes of how an athletic director of a, a power five school right now, or, or maybe even a group of five school is thinking about conference realignment right now. Um, in, in your mind, what are some of the mo- going to be some of the most pressing conversations behind closed doors over the next six months?
1: Well, I don't, you know, look, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, this is new. It just happened in the last 10 days. And, you know, um, I think now it's really just knowing what the landscape is and and talking to your peers about what's going on out there. We feel really good about where we're at at Colorado and, and the conference that we're in. We have a strong yeah. conference. Uh, we feel really good about what we're doing at Colorado. So, you know, we're just going to, um, you know, See what goes on, and and we're going to have discussions with with people, and 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 again, it's like uh, your strategic plan. You got to be nimble, uh, you got to be uh, you know understanding what that environment is, and then you got to make the decisions that are uh, in each uh, school and each conference's best interest.
0: You got you guys aren't going anywhere right now. It it, it it's Pac-12 for life for you guys, right? Uh, but what are some of the considerations for an athletic director that, I mean, obviously if you can put yourself in the shoes of Joe or Chris down at Texas and Oklahoma, right. What are some of the things that might come to mind as you're thinking about moving to a conference? Is it purely broadcast money or are there other things at play that might say, Hmm, this might make us consider going to another league. I'm not talking about Colorado. I'm just talking about hypothetically, uh, an athletic yeah, I mean,
1: director. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, everybody wants to compete at, at at an elite level, right? And so, you know, what gives you that ability to do that? And some of it has to do with money. Some of it has to do with the geographical region you're in. Some of it, you know, you talk about culture. I mean, you know, we've got schools, a lot of AAU schools in our conference that, um, you know, are, are good peers of ours. And and that's important to our presidents and chancellors. So, and then you've got to look at the region, um, you know, where you're at, because, you know, do you want to... Um, you know, play at uh, different times or, or travel, you know, because you still got to think about the health and wellness of your student athletes in this. Right. And so when you're traveling and you're, and you've just now gone outside of your geographic reason, does that make sense for you to make those, you know, traveling maybe longer distance to compete in, in the health and wellness of your student athletes? So I think you got to look at all of the different factors and for us in our conference, you know, does it make us better? Um, and, and, you know, and what are those intangibles that are going to make our conference better? And, um, those are things that we'll be discussing over the coming days and weeks.
0: Got it. Well, let's talk a little bit about NIL and the future of it and, and how you have a view on how you think it's going to impact college athletics. Um, let's start there. I, I, we can talk Colorado's. I want to talk a little bit about y'all's plan specifically, but let's start broad and, and your viewpoint on how NIL is going to impact college athletics for, for good or for bad?
1: Well, well, look, I, I, I've said this publicly for a long time is that I'm a big believer that student athletes should monetize their name, image and likeness. Probably the disappointment in this at this point is that we don't have consistent policies across all of our programs. universities around the country. You know, we've got 19 states that have a state law that they're adhering to, and then you've got 31 states that can do whatever they want. And so there's no consistency. And I think from a, a, if I'm a high school recruit, I don't know what I'm getting, where I'm going. Right. And so what does that look like? And so I'm a little disappointed in that. I've served on the uh, working group at the NCAA for the last two years. And, um, you know, what we had put together, um, is still sitting there on the shelf and and it's really good and but you have to have consistency across the board so i'm a little disappointed in that but you know for our student athletes you know um we've tried to educate them on what they can do and um and, and and how they can brand themselves and i think there's a lot of them trying to figure that out right now but there's some that say you know it's like evan batty you know, he came out publicly and said, you know, I hope my my teammates can make some money on name, image, and likeness, but I play for what's on the front of my jersey, not mm-hmm. what's on the back, and I'm not going to get involved. And he's a guy that could probably monetize his name, image, and likeness at a pretty good level. So I respect that, and I think it's going to be different uh, for everybody. I think we'll find out a lot over the coming days and weeks, but I'm hopeful that we can get one set of guidelines uh, for all of our uh, uh, schools around the country. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, you, you read things out there. Well, this school's doing this and that, um, you know, we're trying to make sure that our student athletes know what those opportunities are for them and uh, help them in any way we can and support them uh, through the process.
0: You mentioned being on the working group and saying that, you know, what you guys put together was pretty solid, but it's sitting there on the shelf more or less. And what, what causes that? Because I think to the average person, they're they're probably just thinking, well, hey, if we put something together, good, why can't we just put it into place? What causes it to kind of be sitting there and not be put well, into action?
1: Well, again, I, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, factors that do that. You know, the, the Alston ruling that came out and, um, you know, those kind of things. And I think the NCAA thought it, it would be best that, you know, each institution makes up their their own guidelines at this point uh, until we can have some consistent policy across the board. And, and again, I think you have to. I, I think, you know, one of the things that you want to ensure is that we can keep the recruiting process somewhat, you know, uh, uh, that everybody are, are doing the same things and we don't want to put create too much of an imbalance there um that some schools are doing this and some are doing this and um and they're not consistent with each other and and we want a a strong competitive playing field uh in the NIL space but also in the recruiting areas as well and you know um, do have con- some concerns about you know booster involvement and things like that but um, you know, we, we've got a compliance office that's really good. We put a lot of pressure on them to make sure that our student athletes are doing the right things, that they don't become ineligible and, um, and educating our student athletes on what those things are.
0: Is there anything around NIL that you feel like Colorado is uniquely positioned to kind of take advantage of uh, or, or benefit from?
1: No, not really. I mean, look, we've got an incredible place that we live in and um, it, it's a beautiful place and, and uh, our student athletes are really smart and and they're engaging and they're going to create their pathway, whatever that is. Um, and we're going to support them and we're going to um, be helpful as, as much as we can. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, our focus is on making them life ready once they leave. And, you know, we've got a whole student athlete program uh, that is really important to what we're doing. It's about wellness, health and an optimal life experience for our student athletes. And, and, um, you know, we put a lot of uh, resources behind that to make sure that they have the support they need from a nutrition, mental health, sports medicine, career and and, uh, academic uh, leadership, all those different areas that touch our student athletes. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we keep our focus on, on what's important to give them the platform that they need to be successful long after they leave Colorado.
0: Let's, let's talk a little bit about another hot topic, sports betting. You guys have paved the way at Colorado, uh, with your relationship with points bet. Um, maybe we talk a little bit, same thing, how we did it with NIL big picture. I mean, how do you see the, How do you see sports betting and their future role as it relates to college athletics? Because I think 10 years ago, we would have said, absolutely no way would would we entertain those two things in the same sentence. But, you know, it's it's interesting that
1: that that people say that because there's a lot of colleges around the country that um, have casinos and advertising in their facilities. So there's not a big difference there. Right. But, you know, the sports gaming is one that, you know, it became legal in our state. We had a company called Points Bet that are building their national headquarters here. We thought it would be good for us to embrace it because it's here. We'd rather have it legal than illegal gambling. Um, and Ooh. so, you know, we've also partnered with them uh, for our student athletes. They make a donation every year to our uh, leadership and career development department. Uh, they're going to help with internships and postgraduate jobs. And uh, plus, you know, we can, with our partnership with them in the gaming industry, we can help make our um, uh, competitions um, have strong integrity. So we make sure that, um, you know, we're educating student athletes on gambling and our, our constituents, uh, whether it's our alumni and donors and those kind of things. We're not going to allow... Uh, any kind of um, kiosk or anything like that in our stadium. And it's really, it's no different than any other of our sponsorship agreements that we have there. It's all tailored in the same consistent way. It's just, uh, it's a company and it's an industry that hasn't seen a lot of uh, sports uh, marketing in the college level. It's all over the uh, pro level, but it's not at the college level yet, but it will be.
0: What are, what are some of the biggest questions from your peers? You've obviously mentioned throughout this call uh, or throughout this show, talking to your peers around the country. What are some of the biggest questions that your peers come to you with on this on, on sports betting, because obviously you guys are paving the way. What are some of the questions you've gotten about the relationship?
1: You know, there, there's really not a lot of questions. They, they want to know how, you know, it's really more about how did we structure it um, and how did we include the leadership and career piece? And, and that was an important piece for us. Uh, We wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we could use uh, our partnership to educate uh, um, our constituents and we'll see uh, some of our um, you know, ad spots that go out, we'll be talking about education and gambling addiction and things like that that are helpful. It's, if you go back to years ago when everybody was wondering about the beer category and, and mm-hmm. a lot of the messages are, you know, about, you know, alcohol anonymous and things like that, that we were trying to educate them on alcohol abuse and things like that. So it, it's just kind of 20 years later, right, uh, on on this uh, a particular industry, and so a lot of it's going to be about education and being responsible, and um, you know the responsible drinking messages that the you know beer companies put out. Uh, all those things that I think have been helpful, um, and um, we'll do the same thing in this industry.
0: It, it does really remind me of where alcohol was 10 years ago, where nobody would touch it. And now I'm getting off multiple calls in a week talking with schools about helping them build out and map out the strategy for a beer garden for, gen, for millennials. Right. Like right. it's it's just such a different conversation and it all evolves with time. So, um, well, let's move into a little bit more broader leadership. Uh, things. I want to, obviously at Engagement, we do a lot of work with culture and leadership. Um, So let's unpack some of your leadership style. Uh, Maybe to start us off here, who are some of the leaders that have influenced you in your career and what made them so influential to you?
1: Well, you know, I always talk about Bill McCartney because he was uh, a leader that had tremendous conviction on who he was and, and what his values were, as a person, but how he instilled those in our our program. And and I learned a lot of him and how important family was to a lot of the decisions that he made, um, how his faith was a part of of his decision-making. And so I learned a lot from him. I I read uh, Dave Maxwell a lot. Um, He's one of the authors that I read quite a bit on leadership. Uh, and, and uh, you know, as I've gone through this and I've been in this industry now for almost 40 years. Right. And um, you learn a lot of good things and bad things from leaders. And um, I'm a big believer that um, if you don't learn things from your. Failures, then um, you're probably not going to get better and improve. And I think the uh, one of the books that uh, Maxwell wrote is about failures within, you know, uh, and how you grow uh, with failures. And 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 I think when you have failures, it gives you the opportunity to kind of look at, okay, what did we do wrong? You know, what are you know? Successes sometimes blind you, right? And and I think when you have failures, you kind of look at yourself and you look in the mirror and say, okay, why did this happen? How did this happen? How do we get better because of it? And so, um, you know, the, the McCartney was a, a, a great leader. My dad was, and he's no longer around and he's somebody that I admire. And, um, and, but reading Maxwell and I, I read anything I can on leadership. Uh, and I'm a big believer that, uh, the strategic plan is is a, a key part uh, of your leadership capabilities and um, uh, and, and developing a strategic plan really brings your team together. Uh, really helps you decide what's important to you as an organization, and um, and how you're going to use those things to to get better. And so, um, those those are the, the the things that I would say um, on that question.
0: Well, you mentioned failures. I'm curious: is there, are there any one or two leadership failures that stand out to you in your mind? Specific stories that you're like. I'm really in the moment. I, it sucked that this happened, but now looking back years later, I'm really glad that it happened because I learned X, Y, Z. Any any specific well, failures that that stand out to you?
1: Well, look, I, I you know I think um, you know when I when I kind of took a pivot in my career when I left college and went to the pros, and and I was very fortunate that I was able to come back, and and that was probably failure in, in thinking I was better than I was, right? And and as I look back on that. All of the jobs that I thought I should have gotten, they were right in not hiring me. And um, and you know, you as I look back on that, I'm glad I didn't get some of the jobs that I tried to get and um, and that I thought I should have gotten. Uh, and what I've learned in this process too is you're not going to get a job by yourself. You've got to you know Bob Bodine's The Power of Who book that uh, he Great wrote. Book. I'm a big believer in that, that it's somebody's gonna help you get to where you wanna go. And you've gotta have advocates that are gonna help you and support you and gonna reach out to people on your behalf as you move forward. And I tell that to young people all the time. Um, when, you're, when, when you send a resume or a job comes up, there's a hundred that are just as good as you. And what's gonna set you apart from that? A lot of it has to do with your practical experience, but a lot of it has to do with who's going to advocate for you, who knows that person in that role that can maybe move you ahead of the list where you get the opportunity to interview for it. And I think those things are really important for young people that create your network of advocates as you move forward um, to help you uh, land that job that is important to you um, when it becomes available.
0: I love it. Uh, one of the things that I think in leadership is so important for this next question is, is kind of self-awareness, right? And I, I'm going to use this as a, as a time. We're, we're going to use this next two minutes to say, hey, best leaders come apply to any job openings in Colorado here in the next few minutes. But um, Rick, if, there, if you could point out maybe two reasons why someone would want to work with you and one reason why they wouldn't, what, what might those be?
1: Well, I, I guess the reason uh, why they wouldn't is, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm focused on moving, fa- moving fast, and doing the right things, and um, and um, you know, I'm, I'm going to push people. Um, but so one you... thing that they, you know, they'll like working with me and, and with us is um, they know what the role is. Uh, they know my job is to, to to directly lay out what that role is, what we, what our expectations are. And then I get the hell out of their way. And my job is just to motivate, uh, to make sure that we're all on, on board with what our strategic plan and what our vision is. Um, I think uh, people that would work with me would tell you that they can tell me everything good, bad and indifferent. Um, and I'll listen to it. Um, and again, um, you know, I, I like to move. I want to be the best at everything that we do. And I'm going to hold people accountable. Um, and that could be good or bad um, you know, but I'm going to hold them accountable for, um, our strategic plan and for our core values and, and, and what we value at the university of Colorado. And, um, you know, but we also have a lot of fun, you know, we got to remember that we're in a industry that we can serve young men and women, 18 to 22, 23 years old. And, you know, part of our job is to go watch them perform and compete. Uh, and, and there's a lot of, uh, uh joy in that. There's a lot of, um, you know, hardships at times, but at the end of the day, being able to see our young men and women compete and compete at a high level and win, um, is really important. And, and, uh, that's why sports is a great industry to be in.
0: I I'm totally with you there. Um, second to last question, here we go. Uh, you mentioned a lot about keeping your team accountable, empowering them, getting out of the way, letting them do their thing, holding them to the strategic plan. One thing I see a lot of senior leaders make the mistake of in college athletics, they end up turning into a cheerleader. And there are times when you need to be firm and be hold people accountable. But too often I see leaders saying, ah, it's all right, we'll go get them, Tiger. But there's not real direction or oomph behind that. And it kind of falls on deaf ears when every meeting you're in, you're saying, yeah, that's great. We're doing great. So how do you, how do you approach giving feedback or coaching to your team? Are there specific tactics or strategies that you use to give people feedback, to get them to stick to and be accountable?
1: Well, look, you, you've got to be consistent. Number one, um, you've got to be consistent in your messaging and you, I'm, I'm a cheerleader, but I'm also a realist. And I want to tell them the, the good, bad, and the indifferent. And, uh, we're going to have all of the above. And it's important that, um, you can't always be a cheerleader and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, saying, hey, keep going and do, do this and that. I mean, because bad things are going to happen. And it's how we address those things and how we you know, take those and get better because of it. And we've got to be honest with each other. And, and we talk about consistent. But as a leader, you got to be consistent because everybody's watching you there. When you have to make a difficult decision, they're watching and how you're going to do it. And you have to be consistent. Uh, and, and you try to get as much information as a leader as you can before you have to make that decision. But sometimes you have to make a decision on the fly. Uh, but it's gotta, you gotta be consistent with who you are when you're making those decisions. And, uh, sometimes they're not easy. The worst thing is when you have to let somebody go, um, and, um, because they're, they're not performing or they're not adhering to our core values. But those to me become easy decisions. And a lot of time it's not about wins and losses. It's really about the other things that are important to you as an organization. And, um, but you have to be uh, consistent and you have to be honest and, um, and you've got to do it always.
0: Love it. All right. Last question here. Any words of advice to our senior leaders in sports and entertainment listening, uh, to this episode, any advice maybe on how to navigate change or whatever it might be. You can, you, you've got, you've got characters, you've got 280 characters to put up on a, a billboard or tweet out. What's your word of advice?
1: You know, my word of advice is, is, you know, keep your eyes focused ahead. Uh, don't focus too much on what's behind you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I tell a staff all the time, you know, keep your head down, do what you do, do it well, um, you know, communicate um, and, and make sure that we're all staying in the same direction as we move forward. And, um, you know, and, and don't get ahead of yourself, um, you know, stay in the moment of who you are. And, and certainly if opportunities uh, become available, and I tell our staff, if, uh, if something becomes available to you that to uh, get you on your path to where you want to go, um, I support them. I'll, I'll work with them. I'll help them. Um, but stay, stay with who you are and, and know what your role and responsibility are. Be true to your core values and uh, keep your eyes focused ahead.
0: Beautiful, Rick. Thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people reach you or follow along your journey?
1: They can uh, reach me at uh, rick.george at colorado.edu or I'm on Twitter at at uh, rgeorgecu. So, um, there you go.
0: Give, my to, man's giving out me. his email address. Don't go spamming him, people. But uh, <laughs> they can have it. Hit, hit him up on Twitter. Uh, Rick's a great follow there. Um, but Rick, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are really excited to see what Colorado's got in store for everybody in the next 18 months. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Yep, thank you. Enjoyed looking, it. F- looking forward to the next conversation. And everybody listening, you thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally. And you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked in has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N.app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, Visit engagementpartners.com to learn more, download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us. If you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives, our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.